0: This is the Benito Juárez Experience with Dr. Duena Rivera and Luciano Joshua González. Today, we will discuss why we call this show the Benito Juárez Experience, and we will also talk a little bit about the religious right, the religious left, and more importantly, the secular left in the United States. Hello, and welcome to the Benito Juárez Experience, a joint project of the Hispanic Atheist and the Latino. I am your co-host, Juan Navarro Rivera, and I am joined by Luciano Joshua Gonzalez. In this episode, we will talk a little bit about ourselves, what brought us together to do this podcast, and also talk a little bit about the logic of the podcast, why we're doing it, and why we name it the way we did. We will finish the show today with a topic of interest for the secular community and the Latino community, and a discussion of, with a discussion of politics. And now with us is uh, Luciano, please introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Luciano Gonzalez. I am a Puerto Rican atheist. I run the Hispanic Atheist, and I write at Sin God. So, Luciano, how you how you got started, uh, A, as an atheist, and how you ended up uh, writing So I got started as an atheist because when I came to college, this is probably one of the strangest stories that I tell everyone, but it's actually true. I ended up going to go see a movie named God's Not Dead. This was a film that has been pretty universally criticized as a Christian propaganda film, and watching it made me examine my beliefs. At that point, I was already pretty skeptical. I was already pretty close to deciding that I was no longer a believer and embracing my inner skepticism, that that movie was the movie that pushed me over the edge. Within the space of three days after seeing the movie, I announced for the first time that I was a skeptic, that I was no longer a believer, and I realized that there weren't that many Latin American skeptics out there. So I started becoming a more vocal person when it came to religion and irreligion religion, and eventually I joined the Secular Latino Alliance, before I ended up founding my own page, The Hispanic Atheist, and running my own community. And when was that? How how, how long have you been? I mean, you're a pretty young person, so uh, how long have you been uh, like an out Latino atheist uh, or an open Latino atheist? I've been a vocal Latino atheist since very early April of 2014, And I started writing probably in July of 2014 before I ended up becoming involved with what some people now call movement atheism, which is organized skepticism and communities both online and physical around non-believers. So tell us a little bit about Seeing God and and the Hispanic Atheist Projects. So what I really want to do is I want more Latin Americans to feel, more Latin Americans who are not religious to feel normal, to not feel that they are alone, to feel that they have a community which understands them of both other Hispanic non-believers and Hispanic or non-believers in general. And part of the reason why this matters so much to me is that we are not very well represented within the secular community. And I personally feel that the secular community at times problems properly talking about non-white non-believers. And this is my own way of challenging that, of being a vocal leader who is both Hispanic and non-religious. Excellent, because that's actually one one of the reasons I became active uh, a longer time ago, uh, but I actually came through, you know, through a, my path was a little a little different from yours. Uh, but I also want to ask you, uh, you know, before, what's your major and, and, and how you, because you're a college student still, I believe, uh, so what do you study and how you, you know, has that, that affected uh, or influenced your, your own atheism and secularism? Well, I am studying history with a minor in anthropology. My expected graduation date from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro is May 12th of this year. I'm really excited for that. And the reason why my, it's not so much my studies, that affect my skepticism and how I go about approaching activism and community building, it's more my experiences. Because as I mentioned before, I was raised in Latin America in addition to living in the United States. So for me, I was exposed to a variety of different beliefs as opposed to traditional Christianity growing up. I was exposed to indigenous religions and indigenous cultures And that does influence my skepticism, and it makes me want to make non-Christian Latin Americans more visible. And the reason why this does this to me is because I understand the history of how Christianity spread throughout Latin America and how it erased other religious beliefs. I want to do my part in beginning to undo that. Excellent. I think uh, you want to add anything else that we haven't discussed? Or should we turn the table? I think it's your turn to be the person who gets to talk about yourself. Yes. As I said at the beginning, I'm Juem Navarro Rivera, uh, or as my friends call me, Dr. Juem Navarro Rivera. I am a political scientist uh, by trade, and I've been writing on secularism in general for about 10 years now. Time flies, and before that, I became, uh, you know, an atheist. Uh, While well, growing up in Puerto Rico, I went to Catholic schools and was always very suspicious of the authority, uh, not only of Catholic authorities, but I also went to Protestant churches. So I was very, always, very skeptical of their authority, so to speak. Uh, I wasn't a big uh, science student, so. Learning about the Big Bang or, or, or Darwin's theory of evolution didn't actually do much for me, as it is my study of history and politics and learning about all these aspects of you know how, how the church has been or churches have been uh, historically sources of, of oppression or uh, forces for oppression. And then you know I went to college at the University of Puerto Rico, and I finally, after going all those years to religious schools, I actually started getting a language for what I was feeling and what I was not believing, if you want to call it that. Eventually, I went to graduate school, and while living in Connecticut, I finally, in in an area where, because it has a fairly recent history uh, of of religious conflict, it's actually pretty secular in the way it does its day-to-day businesses. Which is kind of funny because you know the New England was basically founded by the Puritans, so it, it does still have that vibe. But you know, religion is a, it's, it's something that you don't discuss in polite circles in New England. So I felt more open there to, to be a you know non-religious, uh, an atheist person. So I know that you are very interested, like me, in the intersection of religion and politics. How do you go about navigating this, given that both of these topics are often considered in Estado Unidense society to be topics that are often taboo? You know, in case what I'm saying is unclear, I'm talking about this idea that it's considered impolite to talk about religion and politics, and these are heated topics that can cause people to get at each other's throats. Yeah, that's why I don't have many friends. Joking aside, I've always been very interested in Mostly because of my upbringing, I grew up in a very political house in Puerto Rico. My my dad very in, involved in the pro-independence movement, and then of course I went to all these religious schools, which meant that I knew by osmosis a lot about religion. And while I was in college, I took a lot of the University of Puerto Rico doesn't have a religion major, but that that didn't mean that there were no religion courses. So I basically took a, 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 all the courses I could take on religion. Most of them were either on sociology or political science. And, so, you know, I, and, and that's where I learned about the religious right in the United States, and I was just fascinated. And once I started graduate school, I just, that became an obsession of mine. Eventually it became, uh, by serendipity, in, uh, and I, I, just, I attended the University of Connecticut, uh, Trinity College in Hartford is not far away, and at that moment they had started their an uh, Institute for the Study of secularism in society and culture and they were looking for a research fellow who had a background in social science, was a number cruncher and and basically had an interest like in religion and secularism and I actually told one of my friends from grad school uh, about it, and he was like well uh, I'm not a statistician. You are, so you should apply. <laughs> and that's how I got really started uh, with, with Dr. Barry and Ariela Kayser in Prince College, in which I was able, with them and Mark Silk, uh, Professor Mark Silk also there, they became my school of merging religion and politics in the United States. And I, I loved it. They, they opened many doors for me and started co-authoring reports and articles with me. And in 2008, we worked on the American Religious Identification Survey, which was what made mainstream the concept of the node, uh, because we found that, that in 18 years, the proportion of people who were non-religious in the United States had grown from 8 to 15%, and was the lead analyst and the lead uh, number cruncher for that project. So it was amazing for me to see the numbers for Latinos and realizing that in that same period the proportion of Latinos without a religion has also doubled and that I kind of wasn't alone and so Barry Ariella told me you know you should write about this and so I wrote kind of like the first report about Latino secularism uh, and ever since I've been Either doing this as a as a day job, or in the last few years, as after I in 2012 I joined uh, the Public Religion Research Institute, and I worked for them for almost three years. And since 2014, I actually got a job as a as a policy analyst for a think tank. So I don't do religion on my day job. So I actually took it up to continue writing and publishing as a as a hobby and. And that, that, that's how I do it. I mean, I, I mean all, I'm all very lucky and grateful that I'm in mean, this academic circle uh, that has opened me many doors. Do you want to talk about why the Benito Juarez Experience is named the Benito Juarez Experience? Oh, yes. I don't know how many people know about Benito Juarez outside of Mexico, but he has always, since I've been studying secularism, it's a figure that I have respected a lot. I don't know to what extent Juarez was an atheist. He probably wasn't, but he was president of Mexico in the mid to late uh, 19th century, and one of the big Important things uh, that I admire about Benito White was that he was a liberal reformer. He was the force behind the 1857 Constitution in Mexico, which actually de facto separated church and state in Mexico. Before that, during the Me- basically Mexico was a Spanish colony, which meant that of course the official religion was the Catholic Church. Eventually, when Mexico gained independence, the church was still highly influential, and I still. If I'm not wrong, it was still the official church, and before that Constitution of 1857, and, and during that, there was a lot of uh, a lot of turmoil in, during that era between liberal conservative forces in Mexico, and actually the conservative forces in Mexico imposed a monarchy. So he, you know, if he was a republican in, in the in the pure sense of establishing again a republican government, removing the monarchy in Mexico. So I think it's partially because since the New Atheist movement has became a thing at the beginning of this century, he has mostly been a white, kind of like English-American, old dude kind of thing. And I think with Benito Juarez, it's a figure that teaches us people with his Latino background that we have that history. We just need to rescue it our societies have not always been dominated by the church or that that there has never been a backlash. And and so I think the Benito Juarez experience synthesizes and rescues some of that. So over at the Benito Juarez experience, we're going to be talking about secularism, skepticism, race, and politics. And I think for a second that it's important that I briefly explain what we mean by secularism, because secularism is a term that has many different meanings, but in this context, we're talking about secularism in the sense that we want the church to be separated from the state, not necessarily secularism in the sense that secularism has been used to define people who lack religious belief. When we talk about that, we're talking about skepticism. Do you want to add anything to that? Yes, you know I, I agree with you, and... And it's this aspect that, you know, you don't necessarily have to be an atheist to be secular, right? You, you, you mm-hmm. can. And for, the, you know, the United States has a long history of, of secular beliefs within religious communities. The Baptists, for example, are one group that actually have forgotten their secular history. <laughs> but the reason I wanted to, to join this project with you was to, to show that there is a Latino uh, Hispanic presence in the American secular movement, that there's actually some transnational aspect to it uh, that extends to Latin America. And I would say even to Spain, this whole history of Republican liberal reformers dating back to the 18th century up to today and peaking at the Spanish Civil War. <laughs> so, you know, there's a long history in there and and that you know, we need to rescue. And so I think part of the reason we also, you know, for, for my personal standpoint, one of the things I wanted to do here is also try to rescue that history a little bit. And when we have a chance, even in, at least in, in shows that, in you know, some of the shows I want to produce, it's talking about figures uh, of Latin American and, and Hispanic secularism in general, which of course may not be atheists, but have, you know, thoughts to keep the power of the church, or the church which in these countries is basically the Catholic church in check. All right. So, do you think that it's time for us to hit on the main subject of today? Sure. Today, we want to start with an article that appeared in Reuters.com on the religious left emerging as a U.S. political force in the Trump era. And the reason I wanted to discuss this article in particular was because Every once in a while, we get this renewal of the religious left in the United States. But something that I have worked uh, in the last few years in my scholarship has been the fact that the secular left is actually a thing, and I have called it in, in either several, uh, few articles and in a couple of lectures, an organic movement in the sense that There hasn't been much of an organization of secular voters, but if you look at public opinion, they actually, people with non-religious affiliation in particular, agree on a lot of stuff, on social and economic issues, and they have been mostly voting Democratic in presidential elections. And so the reason I wanted to discuss it was to talk a, a little bit about what the religious left is and how the how the secular left keeps getting ignored, it's, even though it's a growing movement and and it seems that it could become a dominant force if if it gets well organized in the in the Democratic Party in particular. So I would I would love to get your your impression uh, uh, of the article. So the article in Reuters is very is very interesting to me, because it talks briefly about the fact that the religious left has been a part of American history. And I think that's very true. There's, there's a lot of things to unpack there, but one of the things that I think is interesting is that this article doesn't talk about race. It's, it's kind of frustrating, really, because as Latin Americans, we often don't get, we often don't get credit for our political moves and our political ways. But a lot of Latin Americans would undoubtedly identify as members of the religious left. And this is something that should be not necessarily concerning, but it's a reason for members of the secular left to be aware of it, especially individuals such as myself and yourself, who are members of the secular left, and individuals who are working to become not only well-known, but also activists. I know that when I say activist, I think of myself and my work, but I also think of the work that you do, because the work that you do does inform and it does educate the people who listen to you. And I think it's frustrating to see the religious left constantly getting all of this coverage while secular groups are being ignored and the activism done by secular groups, including secular groups that have religious members such as Americans United for Separation of Church and State, are constantly being ignored. I'm glad that you brought that in, because, for example, uh, in the article they mentioned the work of, of Reverend William Barber, which many will remember by that rousing speech in the, in the Democratic uh, Convention, and who launched in North Carolina what's called the Moral Mondays. And it's interesting that, you know, with the exception that they mentioned that he is in the double double, NAACP, they actually mention that he's black <laughs> and, and the importance of black liberation theology and even for many Catholic and Protestants in Latin America, liberation theology in general. It, it is written in a way that disconnects a lot of history. It does it in a very colorblind way in which kind of like erases why, you know, particularly people of color are activated in the, you know, people, religious people of color are activated in this particular like kind of leftist issues and in particular, especially in economic issues. And and so I'm glad you brought that up because it it, it does, it does erase a very, important part of the history of you know, white communities of color, religious communities of color, lean particularly left. And then, of course, there's this whole discussion of that is not there about the importance of and the growing uh, numbers of the secular left. And so I, I want to, I, you know, I downloaded some data because, of course, I had to do that from the Pew Religious Landscape Study. It shows that right now in the or at least in 2014 when they did this very large survey, the non-religious accounted for 28% of the Democratic Party coalition, so people who identified as Democrats. They were just 14% of the people who identified as Republicans. Now, if we look at ideology, 36% of liberals are non-religious. And basically, the you know the basically the, the other kind of like uh, 64% are different uh, types of uh, religious, but religious groups. So they're basically underrepresented compared to their you know general population numbers. Remember that the the non-religious are 25, 24% in this particular survey, 23% of the population. So you know this is a, a large segment of the population that is secular in, the, in, in, in these liberal uh, democratic groups. And then if we look among Democrats, of those who say they're liberal, 38% of those are, are the non-religious. It's by far the largest group among Democratic Party liberals, so people who identify as Democrats. And who consider themselves liberals. Talking about a very important segment, there is a communities of color like Latino, African Americans, and Asian Americans, and women also have so been growing at a rapid, more rapid clip than in, in in the last ten years than they did in the you know in the period where the nones grew from eight to fifteen percent of the population. So those groups have been instrumental in turning the secular cohort left, uh, towards the left, and and I I think that's an important story that not only journalists are missing the large story of the secular left emerging, but also how women and people of color are turning the the secular community left, towards the left. I think, and this is something that frustrates me immensely, but I think that one of the only ways that religion really knows what it's doing is that religion harnesses the power of people of color. It does so in an extremely condescending way, particularly in the politics and generally life in the United States, but it does so effectively. They understand the importance of harnessing groups of minorities, and they understand that these individuals have sway over the future of these groups. In your experience as a vocal figure who is also a person of color in a secular community, do you feel that you are often taken seriously? Or do you think that people are not willing to consider the opinions, or that they are less willing to consider the opinions of people of color? I think it depends on who you're talking to. No, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I, it, in large part, it depends on the audience. And so, you know, when, when I'm in... In, in the academic circles, I think it's a very different audience where you know, either my, you know, my knowledge, especially because in, in this particular group of you know, people who I normally re- or usually write, I'm the only political scientist as well, uh, and, on, and usually the only social scientist who does race studies. So I think my, my voice carries a lot of weight in there. But then, you know, I've been in, in, in other situations in which it has either been very condescending. I remember one of the first times I talked about Latino secularism, and I was like, very green in my public speaking skills, or at least about these topics. And I got this question about whether, like, those people, which those people are Latino seculars, knew English. And I was like, well, yeah, of course. But, of course, this makes the assumption that, A, like, English is the lingua franca of secularism somehow, and the people who know Spanish are, you know, are with who can't, like, grasp the concept of secularism somehow. And, you know, it caught me off guard. I've become much better at answering those kind of questions and those very paternalistic, uh, kind of, like, backhanded compliments kind of stuff. But also, you know, this is like old school, like old white youth secular. In more recent times, like I've been addressing like groups of students and and I love it because, you know, they're young, energetic, and I see more women and more people of color among their midst. So right now I feel very hopeful about the future. Uh, of the movement and I think we can get uh, a better placement and you know there people like sincere curabo uh, in, in, in right now the social justice coordinator at the AHA, who are who are working hard to get those spaces uh, not only having those spaces but also sharing that that sort of uh, platform uh, with emerging voices and so, so I think things are getting better I think it we're better than they are, but the fact is that, you know, without women and without people of color in this movement, we we are not going to go far. I I think that things are largely improving as well. In the almost three years that I have been a vocal figure of the non-religious movement, I guess we can call it, I have seen a lot of things change. I have seen the emergence of brand new groups, such as the Secular Latino Alliance, of which I am an administrator, which is a fantastic group, and I have seen groups that existed before start to come into prominence, like HAFRI, the, the Hispanic American Freethinkers, and the Humanistas Seculares de Puerto Rico, both of which existed long before I was an atheist, but have been really asserting themselves and building organizations. And that's something that I think is great, especially the humanistas Seculares of Puerto Rico, because as you well know, Puerto Rico is a very religious place. But the fact that there are spaces which are not only fighting to create spaces for nonbelievers, but also doing so successfully, and beginning to show Puerto Ricans that not everyone is a Christian or a believer at all is, to me, a great sign of progress. No, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wish they were, for me, there 20 years ago when I was in college and uh, coming out of high school. And I just dated myself. And then a half uh, kind of got started uh, around the time I moved to Washington, D.C., so I've, I've seen how the group has, has grown and shifted and, and, and changed a little bit. You know it, it, I think it's a good time for us and and hopefully things will continue improving but I think we should finish in this positive note and we'll we're gonna thank you for listening please keep coming back we promise that we'll continue coming here and Luciano any closing thoughts any words of wisdom any Bible verses you want to read <laughs> My, my final closing thoughts are a little bit, have a few closing thoughts. I think that this is probably the best time to be a non-believer of color in the history of the United States, regardless, probably regardless of whichever type of person of color you happen to be, whether you're Latinx or you're African-American or you Asian-American, but the reason that things have gotten as good as they are or as not bad as they are is because of people who've come before us, who've built spaces for us to feel free and safe to exist. The only way that things are going to continue to get better and the only way that things are going to stay as good as they are, if not improve, is if we build on the progress. Uh, thank you for listening. This is Juan Navarro-Rivera and this is Luciano González. Thank you for listening to the Benito Juárez Experience. Remember, like our Facebook page, subscribe to the podcast and we will be here again in two weeks. Thank you very much. This was Juan Navarro-Rivera and Luciano Joshua González.